hello and welcome to Skinscape. Join us as we discuss the path to becoming a dermatologist. We're glad to have you here and can't wait for you to join us in today's conversation. Hello. So today we have Dr. Kristen Smith with us. She's a recently accepted dermatology resident. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Um, like you said, my name is Kristen Smith, and I'm a fourth year medical student um, in Florida. And I recently matched into into um, UTMB for dermatology residency. So I'm very excited about that and um, hopefully can pass on some great knowledge today and help out other people interested in matches, matching into dermatology. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. So first question we have for you is, why did you go into dermatology? Yeah, so I love this question. It was something, it was a question I was asked at literally every dermatology interview. So I'm going to answer it starting with how I answered it during my interviews. So I typically said something like, you know, um, my initial exposure to dermatology was through my dad. Um, he developed melanoma pretty early on um, as a result of spending, you know, most of his life outdoors as a farmer. Um, I grew up on a farm <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, me as well. Oh, awesome. And so that was my initial exposure and definitely piqued my interest. I love going to the office kind of with him. And it was always like family trips to go to a dermatologist. And then um, entering medical school, you know, I wanted to keep an open mind of what um, specialty I would be interested in, but, you know, kind of had in the back of my mind that I was, um, you know, interested in Durham for many reasons. And then as I rotated, I realized that I um, loved the outpatient setting as opposed to being in the hospital. Um, I love the kind of fast paced nature of Durham. I love that you can still do some small procedures. Um, and ultimately, I found that I loved the thing that you do the most often. And I got that advice during third year of medical school is go into the specialty that you still love the most common diagnosis. So if you think for dermatology, that's going to be your acne and eczema. And I love those patients. And, you know, it's not every single day that you're going to see the super rare complex med derm. Um, and that's super interesting, but that's not going to be your every day as a dermatologist. So I love that kind of every single day patient that you see in dermatology as well. Yeah, I love that. That's yeah. honestly great reasons why to go into dermatology. Some of them I also share, um, just like the continuity of care is amazing in dermatology. You get to be with a patient from the start to the diagnosis all the way to post-op management. And I think that's one of the unique things about dermatology, like you mentioned, about why it is so amazing. So you did mention that you kept an open mind. Was there any other specialties that kind of piqued your interest, maybe as you were rotating through or through your didactics? Yeah, I really enjoyed my family medicine rotation. And I think it was for similar reasons. I liked the outpatient setting that you're spending most of your time in. But I like that with dermatology, you can be a specialist, you know, whereas in family, you're also, um, you're responsible for everything, <laughs> which is awesome. Like we need amazing yeah. family doctors. Um, but I definitely wanted to specialize in so that was kind of one reason why I didn't choose family. I also really loved OBGYN. Um, I think that the life that you have as attending 
um, afterwards. I, I didn't want those 24 hour calls kind of as I get older. Um, so that was my reason, main reason for not going into OBGYN. Yeah, I think we started to see a lot more people start to emphasize work-life balance in these recent years. And it's become a really important factor when people are deciding what specialties you want to go into. And that's something I'm hearing a lot with my network and my colleagues as well. So going through your years in medical school, uh, going through each specific year, what were the steps you took and some of the things you did that led you to your path to becoming a dermatologist? Yeah. So um, at my particular medical school, we do have a home dermatology program, but you know, that does produce a lot of research, but typically those research projects are not going to a first year or second year students. So I had to wait until my MS3 year until I was getting projects that I could work with the residents and attendings directly. So that kind of left me with, okay, what's something I can do in my first two years of medical school that is still showing that I have an interest in dermatology. And for me, that was um, volunteering. And so I got really involved in our free student run um, a clinic that uh, we have here in Gainesville, Florida, that I'm sure I think a lot of other medical schools have very similar student-run free clinics for the community, for anyone who's uninsured. Um, and so we specifically have a dermatology night that I started running. Um, and then I was also involved in some community screenings, skin skin cancer screenings that I helped organize um, with the department that we have here um, in Gainesville, Florida. And so that was great ways just to um, do some volunteering in the first two years. Obviously, whenever I was um, in the first two years, my step one score was graded. So I spent definitely a large amount of time studying and making sure that I was going to get a decent step one score, which thankfully I did. Um, and, And two, you know... During this podcast, I wanted to be very open and honest with, um, you know, who I am as an applicant, because I remember listening to a lot of podcasts um, when I was, you know, going through med school. And it just seems like everyone applying to dermatology was absolutely perfect. And that's definitely not the case. You know, we're all very, I think, diverse in terms of, um, you know, our what we've done throughout medical school and it's just my personal journey. Um, so my step one was in the one in the two forties, it was a little bit low, lower than the average for an, uh, a matched dermatology applicant. Um, but it was still high enough that I knew I could apply. Um, and so I worked really hard for that first two years. Third year, obviously clerkships. Um, so I knew I needed to perform really well on them. Um, I was not one of those persons who got straight A's, so I do not have to away. <laughs> um, and out of my medical school, there were um, eight of us who applied, seven of, seven of us who matched, which is really great numbers. Um, and we're pretty big mix of people who had AOA versus pe- people who did not have AOA. I know that's a really big Thing that people worry about in third year, are they going to, you know, get high enough honors and, um, you know, that sort of scores in order to qualify for that for their school, if their school even has AOA. Um, so I just wanted to put that out and make that very clear that I personally did not have AOA and I still matched. Um, then at the end of third year, because my step one was a little bit lower, I knew I wanted to 
take a full month um, and study really hard for step two. And so I got a 254 on step two, which is still kind of the same thing, like good enough to apply for Durham, but not amazing. I'm not going to do anything to make me stand out for those, you know, um, top tier dermatology programs, which is fine. And then, you know, fourth year, I did two away rotations in addition to my own home um, dermatology rotation. Um, And those were all really awesome experiences. Um, Aways can be very challenging. They're very expensive. Um, You know, you're away from your family and your support system for a month at a time. But ultimately, they're really worth it because at least for me and as well as for my classmates, they pretty much guaranteed an interview to that program. Um, So applying for a ways, you know, applying to places that you're really interested in, um, I think is a very pivotal part of the whole process. Um, And I ended up matching at a place where I did do an away. Um, so I'm super excited. I've already know all the faculty and, and the residents who are there. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much for being transparent and giving such a detailed answer. So I'm just going to try to unpack some of the things you said, just going through the years and kind of asking a few more questions on each of them. So starting with uh, first year, I know you mentioned that you volunteered at the clinics and I think especially with some of the step scores going past fail and things like that, it's really important for people interested in dermatology to start making some of the strides earlier on. And like you, our school also has a clinic where they let some of the first years come and help and not only build their skills, but also build their network. I think that's an amazing way for first years to get involved when research is a little bit harder to come by. Is there any other advice you would have for first year students specifically looking to increase their network? When it comes to reaching out to residents, should they be working on cold calling? Should they be going to conferences? Should they be um, trying to use their mentors? How important are those relationships early on? I think that they're absolutely very important. If you can start establishing a relationship with Durham faculty early on and you know continue that relationship, I think that's absolutely one of the most important things you can do. Um, that's personally not something that I was really able to do at my medical school. So um, I understand that's kind of hit or miss, but I think it is important to just be stubborn and be persistent with reaching out to faculty. And if faculty don't reply, then yeah, reach out to the residents for sure. Um, That at my medical school, that's kind of the way to get research is the residents control it. Um, They have a list of projects and they divvy out the projects to the medical students who, you know, happen to email them. Um, so definitely re- uh, residents can really come in handy. I know a lot, several of my classmates ended up reaching out even to um, dermatology attendings outside of our university um, just to diversify who they're yeah. reaching out to and trying to network. And that's very challenging. Um, but I think some of them did, did have success to at least do one project. And, you know, you never know where that's going to land you um, if you just happen to meet the right Person. Obviously, conferences would be great um, now that you know, the restrictions are lifted. So, yeah, I mean, for me, that wasn't really possible at the time that I was, you know, a first and second year. But I think now is absolutely the time um, to try to meet people through conferences for sure. And another thing, like, you know, 
I wouldn't totally neglect um, your studying because one thing I noticed is that all this st- that studying I did in the first two years to get a good step one score ultimately continued to benefit me in third year um, because you know a lot of the same material is going to be tested on those MBME shelf exams that you'll have to take in third year. Um, so all that studying is not entirely wasted on just a pass fail grade is what I, I mean. Definitely biochem and like genetics is <laughs> like you don't need that for your shelf exams, but but a lot of what you're learning, um, yeah, definitely it's going to pay off on the long run in third and fourth year. Yes, I totally agree with everything you're saying. It makes a lot of sense to reach out to residents, especially newer residents, because maybe they haven't started working on their projects yet. It gives you more opportunity to get in early. I think that's, like you said, a great way for people to get involved. And then as we were going into second year, you mentioned some of your step scores and other things like AOA. What do you think it was about your application that helped you stand out besides some of your grades? Um, so a few things that were mentioned to me personally, um, my personal statement was brought up several times. I talked about actually growing up on the farm um, and you know my dad developing melanoma. I'm also a non-traditional student, so I'm a little bit older than my classmates. I was um, a high school math teacher <laughs> before medical school. <laughs> So I've had like these other lives, you know, and I think that just made me, you know, interesting to talk to, at least in my interviews. Um, And I know that ultimately what helped me match was my performance at my away. Um, You know, I can talk about that a little bit if we if we want to. But I think that those are some of the things that just made me a little bit of a different applicant. And my scores weren't entirely, you know, terrible. They were just like passing. <laughs> I, would yeah. I, th- I think your scores are amazing. And uh, <laughs> I would be happy to get a score like that. Um, just going on, like you mentioned your ways, what would be some tips you have for people who are maybe preparing for a ways or currently in that cycle on how to best show yourself to be not only a good worker, but also a good person to work with alongside? Absolutely. So um, you definitely, yeah, exactly. You want to come off as someone who is a hard worker and is eager. At the same time, easygoing. Someone who's easy to work with. You're nice. You have a smile on your face. um, You're professional. Just all, you know, your standard thing that you want to, um, in order to make a good impression. And you don't necessarily have to have a ton of dermatology knowledge already, but I think it does help if you have at least the basics down. For example, you know, can you describe a a lesion um, using that basic dermatology um, language, like calling something a papule, not calling it a bump? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yes. <laughs> and then going on to something you also mentioned, it was just being very personable in your interviews and having a lot of unique things to talk about. I think this is something a lot of medical students struggle with, especially when it comes to time management, keeping up hobbies, other interests. I think uh, many people fall into the trap of just being very laser focused on school and not really having other hobbies outside of school. How, how best would you recommend students? focus on school as well as build those hobbies so that not only does it help with their mental health, but it also gives them something to talk about 
moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, hobbies is a part of the ERAS application and it's a small part, but it actually does. It was brought up to me at every single interview, including my preliminary medicine interviews. And um, I think one of those one. Yeah. One of those hobbies I had throughout all of medical school, and that was um, working out at Orange Theory Fitness all four years. <laughs> Which I okay. So during third year, you know, I probably only went once a month to Orange Theory, um, especially on the tougher rotations like surgery. Yeah. But I really did do that in all medical school. And then I wouldn't stress about too much because, you know, in fourth year, you are gonna have a little bit more free time to pick up maybe some hobbies that you left off in, you know, during first year, and then you can, you know, develop them enough that you can still talk about them in interviews. So I wouldn't stress about it too much. Um, but yeah, it is still important to work out, cook some healthy food. Anyone can do that and talk about it in an interview. Um, Another thing I talked about was um, my husband is actually from Cameroon. Um, and so, you know, since I met him like five and a half years ago, I've been trying to learn how to cook traditional Cameroonian food. It's actually like very challenging. So, oh, wow. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that was like a fun thing, too, to bring up, even though I've only done it, you know, probably four or five times I've cooked some things out of like this cookbook that his mom gave me. It was still like unique. And um, it's something that I have a lot of fun talking about too. So it gets, you know, me going, I'm smiling and then they, you know, see that I'm passionate about something too. Yeah. I, I noticed that a lot. It's not really too much about what you do. It's about how invested you yourself are in that thing. It could be any given thing that you do, but if you show real passion towards it, I think that really comes across when you're talking to people, you know, whether it be working in a clinic, whether it be cooking, like you said, whether it be um, you're playing some type of sport, it doesn't really matter too much about the activity, but the commitment and the passion that you have is, I think, what really comes across when you're talking to people. I completely agree. Yes. Even if it's something like knitting or something. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And then I know you mentioned that you did match into dermatology. Do you want to talk a little bit about why things you did to help you pick what location you wanted to rank and locations that you preferred? And what were some of the factors that you were considering when making some of those decisions? Yeah. So there was definitely a lot I was thinking about when choosing a residency program. And this was actually a question that I would get asked in interviews is what are you looking for in a program? So I think it's really important to take some time to think about this. For me, doing my away was an amazing way to see if the program, you know, didn't fulfill the qualifications that I was looking for. So I was looking for a dermatology residency where the residents clearly had a high level autonomy, um, especially later on, because personally, I didn't want to be at a place where you're in your last year of derm residency, your PGY4, and you're having to you know, give a long, detailed presentation to your attending just about you know a kid who has warts or something very straightforward yeah. with that. You, know, you should have some level of graduated autonomy. I completely agree. I think, uh, especially as you mentioned, getting into PGY4, making that transition towards becoming attending, having autonomy is one of the most important things. And it's kind of a pillar in medicine for us. 
Absolutely. So you want faculty who are going to be able to support you and allow you to have that independence um, as you're running your own, you know, um, resident clinic in fourth year. And kind of going along with that, I was looking for residents who were clearly had a high level of competence. You know, I think that anyone would say that. Um, And that was something I was really able to examine during my OAs. Um, It's just how competent the residents are, how many questions are they having to ask their attendings, things like that. Um, another big thing was looking at where did their graduates go after residency? So for example, I interviewed at a place, um, not, this isn't the place where I matched, but I just interviewed a place where, I mean, probably 90% of the, their graduates went into private practice and had a very large cosmetic component. And that's fantastic. And I know like during the interview, they emphasize that no matter what your goals are, if even if you want to stay in academics, we will support your goals. And I completely believe that. But if you see the majority of their graduates are, you know, going to private practice cosmetics, then that's probably reflective of the training and like what they're emphasizing in their program. Like they probably have amazing cosmetic um, education for their residents and the residents are capitalizing on that um, by, you know, doing that after, after residency. So it, I just have to think to myself, is this what I want to do? Because that's likely what I'm going to end up doing if I go to that program. Wow. That's something I've never even thought about um, looking at the past residents and what they've gone to do, that seems very important. And I feel like it's often overlooked when people are just in the mindset of I'm willing to match wherever, as long as it's in XYZ or an XYZ location. And on the topic of that, was there a specific location you were focused on, maybe related to family or a certain state? And did that play a role into your choices? Actually, yes. Um, I know for not everyone, it, that's necessarily, you know, any type of geography preference, but I was hoping to match into Texas, which thankfully I did. Um, my in-laws are in Houston and my husband actually um, has a job in San Antonio. Um, so I'm really thankful that we're going to be able to be in the same state. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's that's extremely important. I think not only now, but later in the future, it just becomes more and more important being close to your loved ones and especially your spouse, as you mentioned. Exactly, it does. And I think that's a great, you know, I I signaled programs in Texas. I did all my OAs in Texas. So I think that it is, that even for a very competitive specialty like dermatology, it is possible if you play your cards right to end up in a certain geographical location. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I know you did mention that when you were looking at different residency programs, there's different things you were looking at related to how the residents, what the residents did later on in their careers. What were some of the things that you were looking for? And can you talk a little bit about what you want to accomplish maybe later on in residency, whether that be fellowships, academic medicine, private practice, or anything else? Yeah, so I'm hoping to stay in academics as a general dermatologist. At least right now, I don't have any um, inclination to do any type of fellowship. Um, And I love 
teaching and mentoring. And I feel like you can do that every single day if you stay in ac- academics. Um, so that's my plan right now. And I definitely, the, pl- the program I'm going to, um, I could tell absolutely supports that. They have a high level of people who, um, you know, go into fellowship afterwards or they stay in academics. And I'm sure, honestly, if I had gone anywhere, I would have been supported, you know, to to stay in academics as a um, gender. But um, I'm super excited that my program, I think, will be a really great stepping stone for staying in academics. But yeah, and I mean, that kind of speaks to another thing you should look for is, you know, the, when you talk to the program director during your interview, are they going to be supportive if you if you want to go to private practice or are they pushing for everyone to stay in academics? So it's just something to like kind of get a feel for. Um, I know it's really hard in during interviews to press hard because you're trying to make a good impression at the same time. Um, but that's kind of a nice thing about a ways to or just talk to the residents because they'll be able to be more open. Um, but during you know, a ways you can kind of get a sense of their level of camaraderie, um, how close are they to their faculty members um, and things like that, that really tell you a lot. But yeah, and then of course, research is a really big part of dermatology. That's, you know, everyone who applies to derm does a lot of research and continues to do that in residency. So that was another thing I was looking for in programs is programs that will support you to go to AD and other, um, you know, local dermatology conferences. Um, and I'm super excited that the program going to everyone goes to AAD. And that's not necessarily the case for other programs if they just don't emphasize research quite as much, um, which is fine. Some people don't want to do, you know, a ton of research when they, whenever they're residents, but I definitely wanted to continue to be able to be a part of it. Yeah, completely. Um, AAD seems like an amazing conference. I was actually just following some of the conferences that have been happening on Instagram, and it seems like a blast. Everyone seems like they're having fun. You get to learn a little bit. You get to meet a few people. They're always in great locations. This is just one of the many amazing things that we have in the field of dermatology. Yes, exactly. And all the free products that get out. I feel like that's the big thing, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, completely. Um, I know you did mention research and research is obviously goes hand in hand with dermatology. We're seeing year over year, the research numbers, the average research numbers per se for dermatology applicants just seem to continue to rise. And I know it's tough for many of the students, what some, especially those who don't have a home dermatology program. What are some tips you have to help students not only get into research, but also do some more meaningful research and thirdly what's the best ways to reach those average numbers or are those average numbers not what you should strive to do yeah so um it's a tough question um i was thankful to um be able to get five um derm related research papers either accepted or submitted by the time i submitted eras application um and those were all done in my um, MS3 year in third year through my home program. So, you know, if you don't have that support or, you know, if you don't even have a home program, I would say that you just have to be very aggressive with your networking early on and asking for projects and better yet, it is, I think, 
you know, more likely to get a response if you email someone with an idea. Um, I've had someone tell me, someone who's currently a resident, a dermatology resident, tell me that she would email complete her completed manuscripts that she would write on her own um, to faculty members and say, hey, would you like to support me in publishing this uh, or submitting this to XYZ Journal? And of course, that's an easy yes, because all the work is done. They literally just have to read and edit what she's already written. And that shows a lot of initiative. Um, and she ended up doing a lot of publications that way because you can just write a review paper um, on your own without um, much support. If you are very familiar with the literature and you're constantly reading PubMed or JAMA Dermatology and seeing what's out there and seeing, well, what's the gaps in dermatology knowledge? And that takes up a lot of time. It is very challenging. But if you have no other options, um, that is an option is to just start writing. And um, just trying to be persistent with your emails and networking. But yeah, it's tough. Yeah, one of the things that we're really trying to do here at Skinscape is we're trying to build a platform that helps some of the students who don't even know how to get started uh, when it comes to research. So we're looking to build some of those email templates, instructions on how to go about finding mentors, how to find a team of students to work together, how to write things like systematic reviews, because I feel like a lot of students, it takes them a while to figure out some of these things. And by the time they get all the things together, it might be a little too late or not, not particularly too late, but it could have been better if it was done a little bit earlier. I think the idea that you told us about the other student who was actually writing manuscripts and asking PIs to just sign off on them or to edit them. That's an amazing idea. Something I've also never heard before. I've heard of obviously bringing a idea to a PI, but completing a whole manuscript that is taking that one step further. And I think that's amazing. It's something that a lot of people don't take the initiative to do, but can be what separates you when you're applying for a competitive specialty like dermatology, getting a few more publications, especially if it's first author. And th that's an amazing way to also build your network um, outside of your home program if you don't have one. Absolutely. And of course, another option that's becoming popular is a research year. Um, there is someone who, um, you know, also matched in my cohort. Um, here at my my home program who did a research year in between his um, third and fourth year of medical school and ended up matching. Um, but I it doesn't necessarily guarantee a match. And financially, a lot of students just cannot do that because it's not necessarily guaranteed that those research years are funded. Um, so it is, I think, risky. Um, I don't think a research year necessarily, you know, makes up for um, you know, if you have deficiencies in every other category of your application, I don't think a research year necessarily guarantees a match. Um, I think, you know, you still get reviewed holistically um, with all the rest of your application. Um, but it definitely, you know, if you're not able otherwise to do research and you have an interest and you want to do that for your application, then I think, you know, it can be worth it. I agree completely. And it does seem when you're on some of these social networks like Reddit, Student Doctor Network, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it may be, it's almost becoming synonymous 
when applying to dermatology to take a research year. Um, it seems like a majority of the candidates are choosing to go that route. And it's kind of refreshing to hear someone say that, hey, it's not always needed. There are other paths to achieving the same goal. And especially for those who don't have the financial means, taking a year off, especially with loans, interests, all these things that are going on, we do need to be a little bit more proactive and do some of these things earlier on so you can not be accumulating all those extra costs. Absolutely. Because you are, you have to remember that you're not just evaluated based off of your research, you're evaluated based off of the entire application. So like when someone from my um, school only had one case report um, when he submitted ERAS and he ended up matching. So I mean, I know that's just like anecdotal. That was one person, but just to say that it is possible. Yeah. What are some ways you would recommend someone who is maybe deficient in one or two categories to what could they do to help improve their application to make up for those deficiencies? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what it is. Um, If, you know, for, I guess right now, step one is now going to be pass fail. But like, for example, if your third year grades are not above average amazing, then you can, I feel like you can make up for it by studying really hard for step two and showing because you do have to show dermatology that you can score high. And I feel like that's never going to go away because dermatology boards are very difficult to pass is what I've heard. <laughs> so I think that the admissions committee will continue to look for students who demonstrate in some way that they can um, be good test takers, either through step two or through their grades. I don't know. It is a challenging question to answer. I feel like, you know, there are some people thinking about my classmates who did not necessarily have a lot of volunteer experience because they decided super late to do do dermatology, but instead, like they had pretty high step one and step two scores, um, and they had AOA. And so that was enough to get them the amount of interviews that they needed to match, you know? So yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that, you know, you don't have to be absolutely perfect, which I feel like is what you see on Reddit and, um, you know, pretty much anything online. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. There's a a little bit of a toxic culture that's starting to develop with trying to be as perfect as possible, especially not only in dermatology, but many of the other competitive specialties seems like if you have one little black spot in your application, people say, yeah, that's it. No chance. Try again, pick something else. But it's not always the case. That's not how it is in real life. Absolutely. And, you know, you can be an amazing person on your way too, and just, um, you know, ha- like gel really well with all the current residents and have them advocate for you when it comes around time to, to rank you as an applicant, like that happens too. Um, so yeah, I think that it is possible to be kind of average in some areas of your application, you know, have something that's interesting or something that sets you apart um, and then just performing well as best as you can. Um, I think it's definitely possible to match into dermatology. Yes. And as you mentioned, uh, just networking with some of the residents when you're on rotation, what are some of the things that you would recommend to help maybe some of those who are a little bit more afraid or a little bit 
shy when it comes to trying to build rapport with residents um, or different attendings that are not their direct mentors at some of these aways or even their core rotations? Yeah, it's hard. You have to just keep reminding yourself that these are just people the same as you, you know, um, there's they were just in you in your shoes like not too long ago um so for me it was definitely easier to um you know kind of in your downtime in between patients or in between morning and afternoon clinic um to talk to the residents and just be like a normal person be you know talk about normal things talk about things outside of dermatology um if you're in a way if you've never been in that city before then explore on the weekends and then you be you'll be able to talk about it you know during clinic throughout the week uh, hey over the weekend i went to your botanical gardens and it was awesome i saw this and this and i think that really comes off very positively and especially in dermatology yeah i think it's amazing some of the most important things is just being personable like we've mentioned before and that's what really sticks with people it's not hearing a lot about the same medical jargon that they're hearing day to day, but hearing things outside of maybe the hospital or the clinic, uh, whether that be a sports game or a dinner, a restaurant you went to or an event you saw, that kind of sticks more with people than just being in that constant hospital jargon, medical environment. Absolutely. And just it allows them to get to know you better as a person um, and not necessarily your amazing clinical skills, which everyone is going to have, you know, but it sets you apart a little bit if you're able to connect in that way. So I think this has been an amazing recording. You've absolutely killed it. And I think our listeners are going to love hearing everything you've had to say so far. Is there any other things you want to add before we quickly wrap it up? <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that. Um, Oh, wow. We covered a lot. I don't think that there was really anything I had in my mind that we didn't talk about. So I'm super happy. I really hope that this um, helps all of those medical students out there who are interested in DERM. Hope that they know that there it is possible and you don't have to be perfect. <laughs> You know, I think this has helped a lot. I think I've gained so much just by listening to you, especially with how transparent you've been about all your experiences, all the different things you did throughout the years and some of your struggles as well. I think that really connects home with a lot of people and lets you know that, hey, you can have certain things not go your way and still end up being an amazing applicant like yourself. Absolutely. And if you don't mind, I'll just share my email. If anyone wants to email me questions, um, I'm more than happy to be available. It is kris07 at ufl.edu. So feel free to send me an email if you have any questions or want to know a little bit more. Awesome. We'll add that email to the description of our podcast when we're uploaded. And feel free to message Dr. Smith. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast and we look forward to meeting you in the future soon. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And as always, see you on the next one.